Welcome to the Epiphany Lutheran Church podcast. These messages, based on a biblical text, interpreting the hearer's situation, informed by Christian teaching, creatively proclaim the crucified and risen Jesus of Nazareth for forgiveness and new life starting now. Epiphany Lutheran Church is located in South City, St. Louis, Missouri. Our vision is to be a community that puts Jesus first, neighbors second, and ourselves third by gathering to be served by him so we can grow to love as he loves. Learn more at epiphany-stl.org. That's epiphany-stl.org. I did motivational speaking for three years, 94, 95, 96. And it was a lot of fun. I traveled the country. I spoke to groups and they gave me money and the more I did the better I got and the more money they gave me and then I wrote a book and used it for back of the room sales which led to more gigs and more stuff and I belonged to two professional speaking organizations one was an umbrella organization called NSA National Speakers Association the other a local branch of that PSI Professional Speakers of Illinois and Professional Speakers of Illinois PSI we would meet every other month six times a year and we would meet just to work on our craft we would have skill development seminars. And I remember one. We brought this guy in, and I don't remember his name. I don't even remember where he was from. But the topic was audience engagement. How do you keep people tracking? And he stood in the front, and the first thing he said is that we were all going to stand up and play a game. Well, I don't know about you, but I don't always like the guy in the front telling me what I'm going to do. So I folded my arms to my chest, displaying my displeasure and my arrogance. And the game that he had everybody up playing except for me was Simon Says. And he was really good at it, and it wasn't long before I wasn't the only one sitting. And then he made his point. He said, okay, who's Simon in your life? Who is it that when they speak, you listen? And that made such an impact on me that for the next year, year and a half, everywhere I went, we played Simon Says. And I, you know, I spoke to a lot of fraternal life insurance companies, a lot of church stuff as well. It wouldn't at all be unusual to have seven, 800 people standing in an auditorium playing Simon Says. And I got to be good at it. So, will the children please come forward? Oh, completely off guard, wasn't it? And any old people you want to come forward to, we're going to play Simon Says. Okay. Rod. Here's, here's what I want you to do. I want you to stand along the front.
Well, you got that whole area. Do you have, a, you have an issue over there or something? Okay, you know how to play Simon Says? And can you be the judges? I, and, and not even a flinch. Okay, if you see a flinch, they're down. Got it? Otherwise, we're going to be here a long time. Okay? You ready? Shall we start now? Okay, we're starting. You sure you're ready? Just kind of take a deep breath, kind of like this. Uh-oh. Whoever did that, go sit down. Out. I saw you. Out. You did it too, I know. Thank you. Thank you. Good job. Okay. Look how many... We got rid of probably half the people. So look at who's left. <laughs> Simon says, right arm up. Good job. <laughs> okay. You can put him down. It's a tough crowd out there. <laughs> I'm here left. Five. Hmm? Okay. Uh, Simon says, put your arm down. Simon says, put your left arm up. Right arm up. Simon says, put your right arm down. Put your left arm up. Oh. Tiny little one. I know. Should we let her stay or not? No, you're in, no, no. <laughs> okay, you got to go sit down. Sorry. Oh, are we okay? Okay. Now, it's interesting. There's four of you. Okay. Now, we're going to decide which... So now we're going to have a little audience participation. Which one of these do you think is going to win? All right. Here's what I'm going to want you to do. I'm going to want you to pick who you think is going to win. So take a look at each other. Stay strong. Stay strong. <laughs> okay. Right arm out. Simon says right arm out. Right arm in. Right arm out. Oh! Oh, we lost them all. Thank you for that. So, who's Simon in your life? Who is it that when Simon says, you listen? Here's the gospel for last Sunday. It's Luke 5, 1 to 11. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on Jesus to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. And he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. 
So getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land. And Jesus sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. So also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. So here's kind of the backdrop of that. Jesus is by Lake Genezareth. There's a crowd. He always drew a crowd. And he was speaking, but the crowd was milling and pushing and pushing more and more. And he saw two boats, and he got into one of the boats, one owned by Simon, later Peter. And he said to Simon, can you, can you push out a little bit so I can speak to these people? And he spoke to the people. And when he dismissed them, he turned to Simon and said, let's go fishing. Let's go out into the deep, put down your nets, and fish. Now, Simon was a fisherman. Jesus was not. Simon knew the best time and place to catch fish. He had to. That's how he made his living. And he knew the middle of the day, this was probably mid-morning, and out in the deep was neither the time nor the place to catch fish. And he was tired. He'd been up all night doing the very thing that Jesus was now suggesting with nothing to, cat, nothing to show for it. So... Can you freeze that little tableau? Just freeze it. Can you put that into your mind's eye? So you got a boat with Jesus and Simon. Let's make them, let's have them looking at each other. And in the background, you can see the crowd milling about. And over there is another boat. What we have right there in that frozen little tableau is the essence of discipleship. Because Jesus was asking Simon to do something that ran counter to his experience and his expertise. How easy it would have been for Simon to say, Oh, Master, you're a great man of God, and whenever you speak about God, it just comes to life in ways I've never heard before, and that's really great. But you know, the things that you say don't really have much to do with fishing. I'm the fisherman. You stick to, you, you continue to do what you're doing, and I'll do the fishing. See, and the same is true with us. Discipleship always runs counter to what we consider conventional wisdom. It's like the whole world got together and said, here are how things operate. This is the way things work. And we all buy in. And then Jesus says, no, it's this way. And it's always polar, opposite. 
It reminds me of a commercial I saw years ago, and I don't remember the company, but I think it was an airline. It was a guy on a people mover, and he's going along, and all of a sudden, he remembered that he forgot something, and instead of continuing on the people mover and then doubling back, he decided to turn and go in the opposite direction of the way the people mover was moving. And so he had to dodge people here and there, and he did fine until there was a whole crowd. And then he had to turn and go with the flow. The direction Jesus asks us to go always looks like the wrong direction, and it is always against the flow of everyone around us. Love your enemy. Pray for those who persecute you. Turn the other cheek. If someone asks you for something, give it to him. Don't sit there and go, how do I know that you're going to use it the way I want you to use it? If someone asks you for something, give it and give more. If a guy comes up to you and says, hey, I really like that shirt, give him the shirt and the suit. Consider the lilies. Die to yourself. If you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you can say to a mountain, move, and it'll dance away. Get out of the boat and walk on the water. Forgive 70 times 7. The greatest is the servant. So wash feet. How easy for us to say, oh, you know what, that all sounds really good, doesn't it? Sounds like a, an idealized approach to life. But... It's kind of not the way things work. Love your enemy. Well, if you love your enemy, they're no longer your enemy. And besides, my enemies are your enemies. I'm fighting them in your name. Consider the lilies. Oh, that sounds poetic. But here's what I've learned. If I don't take care of myself, nobody else will. Then I become a burden on other people, and that's not right. Die to myself. That runs counter to every instinct born into every creature anywhere. And faith the size of a mustard seed can move a mountain. My experience is faith the size of a mountain might move a mustard seed. And forgive? Sure, if somebody's apologetic enough, I'll give them a second chance. And give off the top? You mean like first fruits? You mean like you give before you figure out how much you can afford to give? <laughs> what sense does that make? That's not good financial planning. That's not good stewardship. And you know what? Some people never get past that. It's like they've got Jesus in the boat. They hear what he says, but they cannot and will not step out in obedience because it runs so counter to everything that makes sense to them. People come into places like this week after week after week after week after year after year after year. And they hear what Jesus says and they go, yes, Lord, yes, Lord. And then they walk out those doors and they live like functioning agnostics. I've seen congregations make decisions that make sense to the world. 
but are totally contrary to what Jesus says. You know what a prime example is? We got to survive. And Jesus says, no, no, no. You got to serve. And isn't it interesting those words sound alike, survive and serve, they're just an I've in one. And you know, I've heard the argument, I've heard it so many times, it's such a tired argument. But if we're not here, how are we going to survive? But the shift is so radical, it becomes idolatry. Because the mission then becomes keeping the doors open rather than serving. And you know what my experience is? Congregations that focus on keeping the doors open never get around to serving. Congregations that focus on serving, boy, they do just really well, even if they close. And it's no wonder the church doesn't grow. Can you imagine saying to somebody, can you come and join with us? Because we're working really hard to survive. We'd love for you to be part of us keeping our door open. Right. Well, let's get back in the boat. We, we kind of froze it there. And we talked about what it would be easy for Simon to say. Let's hit the play button and see what Simon says. Here's what Simon says. Master, we toiled all night. But at your word, I'll let down the nets. Wow. You hear it? That doesn't make any sense to me. Truly, it's counter to every experience I've ever had. And my partners in that other boat are going to wonder what in the world I'm doing. But if you say it, I'm doing it, and he did it, and the net's filled with fish, and the other boat had to come, and both boats began to sink. Does God bless obedience? But you know my favorite part? Simon didn't focus on the fish. Here was perhaps the greatest catch of his life. The kind of catch he could spend years talking about. Oh, I remember this one day and we fished, didn't catch anything. Sky got in the boat and said, let's go out there. And I didn't want to, but I did. And I've been rich ever since. The fish became irrelevant because suddenly Simon knew who was in his boat. He had an epiphany. This was not just a rabbi. This was not just a man. This was more. And now look at what Simon says. Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, Lord. Oh, how incredible. There's all these fish and this guy who obviously had something to do with it. And all Simon can think of is he's got to get out of the boat. He can't be there with this guy. And by the way, did you notice the little shift from master, we toiled all night, to depart from me for I am a sinful man, oh Lord. The honorific changed from respect to sovereignty. See, when Simon realized who was in his boat, he suddenly knew who he was. Those two things always go hand in hand. When we catch a glimpse of the glory and the wonder of God, it brings us to a shattering awareness of who we really are. And we can no longer play those games we like to play where we pretend we're not as bad as other people. You know, we never really say that, but we sure think it. And you know what? Sometimes we're right. <laughs> but God does not grade on a curve. The standard is holiness. And when we understand that, then we're kind of like Isaiah 
Remember in that vision that he saw? Isaiah 6, he saw the Lord high and lifted up, seated upon the throne, and the smoke filled the temple, and the six-winged seraphim were singing, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. And here's Isaiah, who instead of going, Wow! He was so repulsed by the image of his sinfulness that reflected off the sheer majesty of God. His desire was to slink away. See, until we understand who God is, we cannot come face to face with who we really are. And until we come face to face with who we really are, we cannot understand grace. We cannot understand the power and the wonder of love. We cannot understand the mystery of the cross. We cannot understand the miracle of the gospel. Because as important as it is what Simon says, of far greater import is what Jesus says. To Simon who said, depart from me, I'm a sinful man, O Lord. Jesus says, do not be afraid. Words of assurance and comfort and strength and forgiveness, gospel words. The same words that Jesus speaks to us in the midst of our sinfulness as we're affronted by who we really are. That's when we hear gospel it's as we're writhing in our unworthiness, like Simon and like Isaiah, that the words of grace actually touch our hearts. And we hear him say, do not be afraid. You are okay. You are loved. You are forgiven. You are redeemed. You are whole. You are holy. You are mine. You are forever. And then simple little words like, take and eat. Go in peace become words that are life-changing and life-sustaining. And when those words have touched our hearts, when we know who is in our boat and who we are, when we've caught a little bit of flavor of grace and have been overwhelmed by it, that's when we leave everything behind. How could we not? We're different. We're as different as Simon who became a fisher of people. You know, people marvel. That Simon, James, and John left everything right there. They left it right there. This big catch of fish, their boats, their family, they left everything. And people say, wow, that's, that's commitment. That's courageous. That's crazy. It's, it's none of those. It's the natural flow of a life that has been actually touched by grace. Because nothing is ever the same. Nothing is of the consequence that it was. And we leave everything behind literally or figuratively and follow. If Simon says it's a game, Jesus says that's life. Jesus says You are forgiven. You are loved. You are so loved. You are redeemed. You are whole. Jesus says, live in joy. Jesus says, live in freedom. Jesus says, live in peace. Jesus says, follow me. And we say, so be it. Amen.